Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Thank you so much. I'm so blessed to be here. First time in Amarillo. And uh, I tell you, your pastors are my heroes because uh, it's, it's hard to find people who are taking a stand during the lockdown, but also with the election. And, um, and um, in fact, I, I spent two months, September and October, going to the battleground states. Uh, we have churches in, we have around 300 churches in America, but we're in 70 nations. And without hyperbole, uh, we stopped counting with 35,000 churches. So we, we have a network that's just absolutely just taken off. It's the kingdom of God advancing. In fact, globally, we're seeing the greatest harvest right now. Every day, 200,000 people are getting saved. 35,000 in India, 35,000 in China. The five hotspots, if you know what, want to know where the hotspots are, is China, India, Brazil, uh, Nigeria, like, for example, the Redeemed Church of God, they have planted over a thousand churches in the United States. How I many know we need that Nigerian revival here in the United States? Seriously. Their network, when they gather together, they gather two million together every year. Two million people, two million primarily leaders. They planted over a thousand churches in Europe. And so God's not done with the United States or with Europe, and we're seeing tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. The last uh, hot spot is Indonesia which is the largest Muslim nation. The largest Muslim nation, now 40% of Indonesia is born again. It is amazing. We're seeing a million Muslims getting saved every single year. And so it's just been very exciting to be part of that. But God called me back to California in 2018. I started out in 1984. We started our, I went to Fuller Seminary uh, for eight years there uh, because I was a father with four kids and all of them are grown up. Three of them are pastors. They love Jesus. Uh, all of them love Jesus. And uh, my oldest daughter, uh, she's a stay-at-home mom. She has four kids. She just gave birth to her fourth child three weeks ago. And, um, and Sue, my wife, she's one of our pastors, but she's there helping out uh, even as we talk. And so she couldn't come with me on this trip. Uh, but she would rather be with the grandkids than with me, <laughs> to be honest with you. We've been married 42 years. And... Uh, you know, it's been, it's been, for the most part, for the most part, it's been heaven on earth. But we did hit a bump in the road in 1992. And uh, I'll never forget, it happened in the kitchen. It's always hot in the kitchen, right? That's where the arguments began. And so I said, how could God make you so beautiful and stupid at the same time? And she said, well, God made me beautiful so you'll marry me and made me stupid so I'll end up marrying you. So that's how the fight began. <laughs> No, that's an old joke. That didn't really happen. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's amazing how God's been so good to our family. And I'm here really by the grace of God. My uh, great-grandmother got saved to American missionaries. Can we thank God for the American missionary? By the way, United States is the number one mission-sending, mission-giving nation still to this day. But you send us the missionaries to Korea. And they came to Pyongyang, Korea, which is now communist Korea. But back then, that was the capital of all of Korea. 
And uh, my great-grandmother got saved, and, and then uh, it's just one by one they got saved. My dad uh, became a pastor, first Southern Baptist pastor in America. He came to this country in 1958 to start a church, and we had some visa problems, and we joined him in 1960. But you know, I want to just tell you something about my dad. My dad was arrested when communism took over, when they divided North Korea and South Korea after the war, World War II, 45, Stalin wanted a buffer to protect them from Japan, even though Japan was devastated by the war. I tell you, to show you how great America is, even though the Japanese were our enemy, we helped rebuild Japan. We helped rebuild Germany. And it's just because of our Christian values to forgive and not only forgive, but come in the opposite spirit to bless. So anyway, but Stalin wanted North Korea to be communist, and so they arrested my dad. And he was stuck there. He was in prison. They were going to execute him. By the way, North Korea with Kim Jong-un is the most oppressive regime anywhere. Totally totalitarian. And um, it's worse than communist China. I mean, you know, we have the Muslim Uyghurs, a million of them in concentration camps. Uh, but what they're doing in Korea is absolutely atrocious. And so my dad was arrested. And then um, Kim Il-sung, the grandfather of Kim Jong-un, uh, invaded South Korea. He wanted to take over all of Korea to make it communist. And thank God for the U.S. troops. Because Truman sent the U.S. troops under... General Douglas MacArthur, how many of you heard of him? You know, he's one of the great generals of, of World War II, but he was released to come to Korea. And it wasn't for the U.S. forces that pushed the North Koreans to the Chinese border that my dad was released. And he came to South Korea with millions of people, millions migrated south. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the U.S. soldiers. And I want to thank you for sending missionaries, but also your armed forces. That's why I love America. That's why, you know, I became a citizen when I was 12 years old, and I feel in many ways I'm more patriotic than some of my woke pastor friends in Southern California. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's unbelievable how passive they are. We have the second largest evangelical population next to Texas in America. But um, all these pastors, they just won't even open up, even though we won the Supreme Court decision 6-3 on February the 6th, they still won't open. And a lot of the never-Trumpers came out of that church scene. They've gone so seeker-sensitive, so uh, lukewarm. They're like the church in Laodicea, you know? Jesus said, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, you make me sick in my stomach. And he was saying it in a nice, loving way. It nauseates him. And that's the state of the church. And that's why the Bible says, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. 1 Peter 4, 17. Uh, the way we're going to see transformation begins with the church. It says, Second Chronicles 7, 14, all of you know this verse, if my people who are called by my name, not the Democratic Party, not Biden and Harris, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Are you saying the church is evil, wicked? Believe it or not, yes. It's really interesting, the word... Fear, you know, it's used so many times. And more than any other verse, God says, fear not. That's the one statement that he says. Let me tell you what Jesus says more than any other phrase. 16 times he says this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. That's why we have to be a prophetic people. We have to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. 
But anyway, uh, the, the thing that I, I wanted to bring up was that um, as, I just lost my train of thought. I'm having a senior moment here. No, <laughs> it's just a lack of sleep. I had, I, by the way, pray for me. My bags got lost. And I'm wearing what, what I wore yesterday as I came in. So we're trying to retrieve my luggage. So, you know, it's a good sign. I told Pastor Brian, I said, I have gone through more warfare coming to your church. And I, I believe, I, I believe it's because there's something divine connection here. That I believe in God's kingdom. We're going to see an advancement of God's kingdom like never before. This is not hype. I really believe that because of the time, the Kairos time that we're in. And so everything's in my bag, my Bible, everything, and uh, my prayer journal. And, um, and so I had to improvise this morning. Thank God for iPhones and <laughs> Bible apps and all that this morning. Anyway, getting back to uh, what I wanted to share. So we have to hear what the Spirit of God's saying. So this morning, the first service, I talked about Haggai 2.7. And I, I shared how God's going to shake all nations. But in the context of that verse, he's going to fill his house with glory. And then verse 9 of, of the same passage, I just quoted from 2.7. 2.9 says, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former. So I was going to share that with the second service as well. But I felt this morning, the Lord told me to speak from Matthew chapter 16. And um, when Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea and says, who do men say that I am? By the way, I want to ask, how many of you uh, have never been to Israel? Just raise your hand if you've never been to Israel. Okay. Let me ask, how many of you have been to Israel? Okay, just a few hands, your pastor. Listen, save up your money and go to Israel. Just at least one time in your life, the Bible will become alive to you. And by the way, just a word of commercial, our network, we lead a tour to Israel every year. So I've been there. Uh, I stopped going after 12 times because I felt like been there, done that, and some others can lead the tour. And so I haven't gone in the last three years, but I'm going again this year in September because I was invited to speak at a conference in Jerusalem. So I'm going there, and I thought, well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well lead a tour of some of our pastors and leaders in our network. So anyway, but I want to encourage you. So Jesus takes them up to Caesarea Philippi. Where's that? If you look at the geography of Israel, it's right near Mount Hermon. And that's where the rain comes, so it's very lush there, because Israel is a desert. But you go to, uh, to Mount Hermon, that's where the rain falls, and Jordan River starts there from the, the rain, the, the, the snow that comes down even on Mount Hermon. And so Jesus takes them there, and when you go there, there's a huge cave, a natural cave, and inside the cave, there's a natural boulder. And historically, throughout the centuries, that boulder has been used for animal sacrifices, but also human sacrifices by the pagans, the Moabites. That cave is called the gate of hell. So when Jesus takes his disciples there, I mean, the thing about Jesus, when he teaches, he always uses something, uh, the natural occasion to illustrate. You know, like for example, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You may not know this, but in the upper room, they would have a, a homegrown vineyard on the wall of, of those uh, in, outside, in the ceiling, in the rooftop, I should say, of a given house. And so you see that because he was inside the room, the upper room, and then he says, let's leave from here. And then the next thing you know, he's teaching about the vine. And so um, anyway, so he takes them to see uh, Caesarea Philippi, 
And he says, who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And uh, Jesus says, you know, you're not that smart, Peter. <laughs> Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father gave you this revelation. So you got it by revelation. And then Jesus says something. He says, I'm going to build my church, ecclesia. The first time that word appears in the New Testament, Matthew 16, verse 18. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter how demonic the world is right now, no matter how woke believers are, no matter how atrocious the Equality Act is and the bills that are trying to pass down our throat by the Biden-Harris administration, Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the ecclesia. Will not prevail against the ecclesia. Now, this word is a very interesting word, ecclesia. It comes from two Greek words, ek, out, kaleo, called, called out once. But unfortunately, many of us think of ecclesia like what we have right now, like a church service. But he didn't say, I'm going to build my synagogue. If he did say synagogue, it would be very much like this. There was worship, reading of scripture, preaching, expounding on time of prayer. But he didn't say that. He said... I'm going to build my ecclesia, and which is really interesting because you have to go back to ancient Greeks. There are two Greek words that Paul, uh, Jesus uses that were not in the Septuagint. It was not in the Old Testament, almost like he coined it for the New Testament period. The word apostle, apostolos. So Luke 6, verse 12, he's praying all night. He comes down from the mountain. He picks 12 among his disciples, thousands of disciples at that point. Thousands are following him. And he calls them by this secular term, apostle. Why? In fact, it offended them because there were apostles there. The apostles were either a general or an admiral representing the Roman Empire. Because the Roman Empire, their whole MO was to conquer territory, but also bring Roman law and culture into that conquered territory because they knew that if they didn't do that, they would rebel and they would have to fight physically instead of culturally changing the culture of that particular conquered nation. So what Jesus is saying basically by calling them apostles and saying, which literally means sent out ones, I also have a kingdom. I also have a kingdom culture. And I want you to bring heaven's culture wherever you go. So all of a sudden, the word apostle takes on different meaning than just winning souls and making disciples. Jesus didn't say, go win souls and make disciples. He said, I want you to disciple nations. Wow. I want you to transform every aspect of a nation. I want you to bring heaven's culture to every arena in a given nation. And that makes sense because he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, right? Matthew 6. 9 and 10, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth, as it is where? In heaven, to bring heaven down to earth. How many know there's no racism in heaven? How many know there's no abortion in heaven? How many know there's no injustice in heaven? Now, when I talk about injustice, I'm talking about biblical injustice, not social injustice. There's a big difference. Social justice today would be same-sex marriage. 
and giving them the rights to have same sex. That's not biblical justice. God created them male and female. And no matter how much you want to say, a man cannot menstruate and cannot get pregnant, even though they're trying to shove this narrative, this lie. It's so blatant because we've come to Isaiah 5, verse 20, where we call evil good, good evil, darkness light, light darkness. And it's just all fake news. I mean, just don't believe the press. Read the word of God. That is the truth, and truth will set you free. <laughs> so he says, I'm going to build my ecclesia. So this I saw a very significant term because the ecclesia in ancient Greece, now back in those days, 500, this word was coined 500 years before Jesus was born. Aristotle wrote about it 400 years before Jesus came. And so back in those days, the city was the state, was a city state. Athens was like a nation and was coined in Athens. And it wasn't just anyone, it was called out ones out of the citizenship of Athens. So there would be like 60,000 citizens. By the way, to be a citizen, you had to be male and you had to be 20 over. And so we're talking about, I, I tell you, Jesus has brought more liberation to women than any other movement throughout history. Seriously. If you don't believe that, you know, I don't know what you do about your pastor, Jesse, because she can be the next Billy Graham as far as I'm concerned. You know, I mean, you know, we just see people in the New Testament being used by God, even a woman apostle in Romans 16, Junius and Adronicus who were saved before Paul was, and they're chief among the apostles. I mean, you know, we have a woman who's planted 25,000 churches in Uttar Pradesh. Signs and wonders. She, the first, I mean, she's probably the most effective missionary I know because the first thing she, she came to me, she was a member of our church. She was going to Fuller Seminary at uh, the School of World Mission. And she said, she calls me Papa Che. She said, Papa Che, I bought a one-way ticket to Varanasi. The moment she said that, I knew what the spirit was saying. She said, she was radical. She's radical. She said, I'm going to India and I'm going to die in India. I'm not coming back. And she said, I want you to send me out. I said, of course, Leanna. I want you to send me out through HIM, Harvest International Ministry, the Apostolic Network, I lead. So I laid hands on her and I didn't know what she was going to do. The first six months, she didn't do anything. She just immersed herself in the language. She's lived, moved into a Indian home and just learn Hindi until she was fluent in Hindi. And then she went on this incredible fast, 40 day fast, and then she went to the temple. This is, by the way, Varanasi is, is the most religious city of all the cities in India. This is where Hinduism started and also Buddhism, according to a uh, historian. She goes there, now don't do this unless the Spirit of God leads you because I'm going to get to this point in verse 19. We'll get to Matthew 8, uh, 16, 19 in a second. But in verse um, 18, he says, I'm going to build my, she goes in there and she binds the spirit of Hinduism and Buddhism, the principality. From there, she goes from village to village and she doesn't preach the gospel. She says, bring me the sick, bring me the blind, bring me the lame. She prays for them, they get healed, then she preaches the gospel and then plants a church. And she goes from village to village. She has 7,000 pastors under her now who are together overseeing 25,000 churches. So what do you do with a woman 
is plant 25,000 churches. Oh, no, you're not a leader. You're not a, an apostle. You're not a pastor. You know, you're relegated. Because traditionally, they're just relegated to children's ministry or women's ministry. You know what I'm talking about? But we see how Jesus, so in Athens, you had to be male to be a citizen, and you had to be 20 years over. 60,000 of them, around, according to Aristotle, around 400 years. Out of that, they picked a handful, around 6,000, like 10%, to be the government. That was the ecclesia. They legislate. They made laws. They're the ones who decided if we're going to go to war against Sparta. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So for Jesus to say, you're my ecclesia, how many know this building, although this is an awesome building, this is not the church? We, we, we use this metaphor, uh, that's my church. We drive by the building. That's not the church. We have this performing arts building that's a beautiful $32 million building we bought in 2004 for $13 million. But that's not the church. You're the church. Tell the person next to you, you're one good-looking church. Go ahead, tell that person. You're the called out ones. But if we just stop there and say, oh, God called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, and that's true. But in the context of what he used is that he's called you to legislate. He's called you to rule and reign with him. Now, you've got to understand that. Because when he made man in his image and likeness, he gave them dominion. He asked Adam and Eve to rule with them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, Genesis 1:28, and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that moves on the land. Rule. That hasn't changed since the beginning. He created us to rule and reign with him, which is amazing because he made us in his image and likeness. He wants to share his authority with you and me. Now, we'll never be God because we're created beings. How many know God never had a beginning? You quoted from, um, uh, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. I mean, think about it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He never had a beginning. That's why Jesus is God. That's why his ego and me, I am, is so powerful. Before Abraham was, I am. What's he referring to? He's referring to the encounter that Moses had in Exodus 3 with a burning bush. Who should I say send me if you want me to deliver all the Jewish people from slavery? And God says, I am that I am. Yahweh. And that is so holy among the Orthodox Jews. They won't even say it. So throughout the Bible, they made another name, title for God, Adonai, which is Lord. That appears 7,000 times in the Old Testament, which I think is very significant because he's not just Savior. He is Lord. He wants all of your life. He doesn't want just 50% of your life or 99%. He wants all of you. He is Lord. And he's not just Lord over the church. He's over everything. He's Lord over the nations. And he says, I'm choosing you to rule and reign with me. And to confirm that, he says in the next verse, Matthew 16, 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, when we bought our building in 2004, um, I remember two conference tables of documents I had to sign. And I'm going around signing these documents, and every time I was signed, I was saying, God, I thank you that my mom gave me a short name, Che On, just six letters, you know, I'm signing. 
And after I signed it, they gave me the keys to Ambassador Auditorium, the building that we bought. That means we're the owners. When you buy a house, they give you the keys. You have authority in that domain, that, that sphere. And so Jesus, I'm giving you the keys to my kingdom. My kingdom is everywhere. It's not just a local church. That's why the church is different from the kingdom. The church is people. His kingdom is his rule and reign. Are you following me? And so God rules and reigns over everything. But the way he's going to rule and reign is through you. And I give you the keys of the kingdom. And then he says this, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is the way it reads in the Greek. Follow me. This is very important. Whatever you bind must first be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose must first be loosed in heaven. In other words, heaven initiates. A lot of us are not getting our prayers answered because God's not initiating that prayer. Now, there is a place where we just you know, petition God. And he loves us and he will answer that prayer. But I believe that he wants us to come to a whole different level where we are exercising our authority with Jesus and we're hearing what he wants us to find and we're hearing what he wants us to lose. And we're gonna see tremendous results, revival, reformation in society. So prayer begins with God. Now, again, there is the priestly intercessory prayer where you're asking God, petitioning him. But how many know you're not just only priests, but you're also kings? Revelation 1.6 says you're kings and priests. I like the way 1 Peter 2.9 said, in fact, I gave someone, uh, all the books sold, by the way, sorry about that, but, you know, I was giving, getting a number of words on 1 Peter 2.9 and signing that verse. What does that mean? It says you are a royal priesthood. Royalty, your kings, and your priest. What do kings do? How do they get things done? Do they petition their workers? Can I just ask you to do me a big favor? Would you be willing to run out and get me a Starbucks? <laughs> do kings say that? They make decrees. And that's why he said to his son, ask of me, and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You never see Jesus, rarely do you see him petitioning or praying intercessory prayers. Now, the Bible says he's ever living to make intercession for us in Romans chapter 8, so he's interesting. But during his ministry, he just gave decrees, declarations. He told the storm, be still. How many of you know he didn't say, Father, I asked you to calm the storm? He said, just be, be still. He told the lame man, take up your mat and walk. He told Lazarus, who's been dead four days, Lazarus, come forth. It wasn't like, Father. Now, he did say, Father, I, I'm praying to you so that they would know that I am the Messiah. But then when it came to the prayer to release him out of four days of being dead and decaying, he just made a decree. Now, in John 5, 19, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. So he's not doing anything unless the Father speaks. In other words, his decree is not just, well, God, I'm going to make this decree. I decree a brand new Mercedes Benz for myself and, you know, just bless it. That's not what he's doing. He's hearing from the Father. And that's when the miracles happen, when you hear from Father and do it. I remember 
on a Thanksgiving service. We have a Thanksgiving service every year. It's just our tradition. Just one hour service uh, to give thanks for what's happened in the given year. And uh, we just said, as you know, as you're going over the rivers and through the woods to grandmother's house, make a pit stop at Harvest Rock Church, and let's just give thanks together. It's a one-hour service. We just have testimonies, light worship, a given altar call for salvation because a lot of unbelievers come because they're visiting family members for the holiday. And, um, and even this, this uh, during COVID lockdown, of course, we had our Thanksgiving Day service. We're not going to lock down. We're going to meet, even though we hadn't won the lawsuit until February. But in November, we, we had a great service. But anyway, this is a few years back. And so uh, afterwards, I'm just greeting the people before I go home and watch some football and eat some turkey. And um, this woman came down the aisle just sobbing and weeping. I never saw her before. In fact, it was her first time in a church service. She was a Hindu woman from Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is Hindu or Buddhist. She was Hindu. And so, I, I, you know, she's coming up to me. She wants some kind of prayer. I know that, you know, and, but, uh, but she's uh, blubbering and she can't get, finally she is able to gain some composure. And I said, well, how can I pray? What can I do? And she said, my husband's ready to leave me after 14 years of marriage. And I said, what, what happened? And he said, well, I can't give him a child. We've not had, we have spent tens of thousands of dollars on in vitro fertilization, IVF, no, but we still can get pregnant. And so I just came back from India and went through a Hindu fertility ritual. By the way, uh, if you go to India, if you've never been to India, it's just an eye-opener because every corner there's a sonogram place where you can find out if you have a boy or a girl. Along with that, you have abortion clinics because if you have a girl, you'll abort that child. It's just, this is pandemic. Satan is a murderer. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we're talking about 62 million babies been slaughtered in the womb since 1973. California leads the way. And so we, our governor says, oh, we got to mitigate, we got to lock down everything because we're going to have a lot of deaths. And yet he's killing 200,000 babies every year. It's just, it's just, you know, I can't find words for it. It's just crazy. We're living in this crazy time. And so she says, um, she says to me, um, and, uh, and I heard that God heals in this church, so I came here with my friend, and she pointed to one of our church members, but she was, you know, by her seat. And, uh, and so, and all of a sudden, God speaks to me. She's not saved, never been to a church service in her life, that she's going to get pregnant in three months. So I said to her, you're going to get pregnant, and you're going to have a child within one year. Now, don't do that unless you really hear from God, because... You know, this is where prophecy can really mess people up because if that doesn't come to pass, they're going to be devastated, right? The, the backlash to that. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've had years of walking with the Lord, so I knew it was the word of the Lord. And besides, I, I, I didn't expect that word, to be honest. It was not on my radar. One of the way God speaks is just the first thing from my mind. So I said to her, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a child within one year. The Spirit of God hits her. There's no ushers. We're not, this is a Thanksgiving one-hour service. It's not, you know, a Benny Hinn service, you know. Boom, she falls on the ground and caught me off guard. And so I blessed her and blessed what God was doing, and then that was it. And then I don't see her again. So now a month later is Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas. And so we have our Christmas service, and it's tremendous. And afterwards, I'm just greeting the people. And this couple comes down towards me, and um, I can't recognize them. 
And she comes up to me and said, do you remember me? By the way, don't say that to me because I am in different settings. I spoke last night in Dallas, so I'm, I'm in meetings every, almost three or four times a week. And so <laughs> if I just, just went to our churches around the world, I'll be 365 days easy. You know what I'm saying? And so you've got to be prophetic even there. Do what you see the Father do. By the way, I love this verse, Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a righteous man or righteous woman are ordered by the Lord. In fact, you're here by divine appointment hearing me. You think that you just came because, well, let's just check out the church. I haven't been there in a while. I need to go back. But you're here because God brought you here. And you have to receive that. And you have to receive this word I'm giving to you. Because I want to tell you, you have authority. So I gave her this word. And, and so next month, she comes, do you remember me? And I said, no, I don't remember you. I'm so sorry. I'm in meetings all the time. She said, you told me I'm going to have a baby in a year. I said, Oh, yeah, now I remember. You were the one that was just weeping. And she said, I just want you to know I'm pregnant. And I said, oh, really? I was... And so I said to her, you know, Jesus gave you a gift. This is Christmas time, and um, why don't you give a gift to him? Oh, she said, oh. She opened up her purse, put out her checkbook. I said, no, uh, I'm not talking about that kind of gift. She thought I was asking for an offering. And she, even though she'd never been to a church, she knew about pastors. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> And, and so I said, no, he wants much more than your money. He wants your whole life. And so both her and her husband heard the gospel. They gave their lives to Jesus. They became members of our church. A year later, we dedicated a beautiful baby girl to the glory of God. Come on. So that's what I mean by binding and loosening, by allowing God to initiate. You don't initiate that. You know, you could devastate someone if you move out without really testing that word. But see, we've done that on a macro level. I'll never forget Lou Engel, who's my prophet friend, who's been with me for like 40 years. And um, he's the one, the founder of The Call, but I was the one that organized. I was the president of The Call for three years. And The Call is a massive prayer gatherings around the country. I mean, the smallest gathering we had was 35,000, and that was in Texas, was in Dallas. But it was November 29th and turned like 35, 40 degrees at the Cotton Bowl, it was freezing. And so the crowd didn't show up. But we had a half a million DC. And uh, the, the call was amazing. So we were at Candlestick Park in San Francisco, 40,000 in San Francisco. Can you believe that? And uh, he has a dream right before that that Governor Gray Davis, Governor Gray Davis came to the call. So he submits it to me. He said, Do you think we should invite the governor? I said, Sure, why not? You know, if he comes, comes, you know. Well, he didn't come. And and so we were there, and every we pray for 12 hours, or all fasting, 12 hours. And there's segments, and when we come to the place where we're praying for those who are in authority, how many know that's scriptural? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, I urge, he goes on to say, we pray for all, especially kings and those who are in authority, because God desires all to be saved. Somehow that's connected by praying for, by the way, I pray for Biden every day. I pray for Obama when he was president. Of course, I pray for President Trump. I'm praying for Governor Newsom every single day. You know what my prayer is? This is my honest prayer. God, save him because I want him to get born again or recall him. And guess what? God's answered that prayer because he's being recalled. But I'll tell you where the idea of recall came because um, we're at the call, San Francisco, April 2002, April 2nd. And uh, 
we invited Governor Davis, he didn't show up. So now it's time to pray for those in authority. We're gonna pray for the president, we're gonna pray for uh, the governor. So Lou leans over to me and he says, you need to, you need to make an apostolic decree that God would recall the governor. I said, no, this has never happened before. He was the first one, okay? What we're doing with Newsom is following in the footsteps of Great Davis. So I said to Lou, I said, did you hear from God? Did you really hear that? He said, yeah. I said, well, if you heard from God, you pray that. But he said, but you're the apostle. See, not all of us have the same authority as first apostles, first Corinthians 12, 28, second prophets, third teachers. Paul uses very strong Greek words, proton, deuteron, triton. You, you can understand even what I'm saying because we're talking about first in authority. So I go there, and I don't want to freak people out about recall, but I just pray, God, you save Governor Davis or remove him from office. That's the way I prayed. But I'm thinking, in the natural, I'm thinking, oh, you know, two years from now when the election is up. But on Monday, a petition begins to recall the governor, Greg Davis. And at that time, because it's only, you have to have 16% of the registered voters, we needed only one million uh, at that time, and we gained the one million. This one, we needed 1.5 million. That's why we went after 2.1. The next thing you know, he's recalled, and then the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, becomes our governor. So here's the thing that the Lord told me, that we have authority even to shift the government, but we got to hear from God. We can't just be presumptuous and say that. And that's where I think the church is missing because I think all of us with good nature, good heart, we wanted Trump to win the next four years. And so we were prophesying this. And of course, I, I, you talk about being distraught. I went two months of my life away from my grandchildren mobilizing voters to vote for President Trump. But I believe that he's bringing us through this fiery ordeal into a place of maturity where we're gonna see amazing things the next four years like we've never seen before. But he's gonna use you. You have authority. Jesus defeated the enemy 2,000 years ago. Colossians 2.15, he disarmed the principalities and powers, made a public display of them. And now he says, when he gave the great commission, Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, all authority has been given to me. Yes, in heaven, I always had it, but on earth, I took it back that was stolen in the garden. And I'm giving it to you. And he's given this authority to you now. It's different from power. Dunamis is a different word. Dunamis is the power and ability to get something accomplished. Authority, exousia, is, to, is the, the legal right to, to get this done. So he's given you, it's like the difference between a gun or a badge of, of a police officer. You have power here, but what you really need is authority to fire that. Are you here? what I'm saying? So I want you to stand up because I want to impart this to you. I want to impart that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon you. There's two things the devil will try to distort. He will distort the nature and character of God. But secondly, he will distort who you are in Christ. Because he knows if you realize who you are and what you have in Christ, you become armed and dangerous. You become his worst nightmare. And that's why Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We don't know. That's why Paul prays. I pray for the spirit of wisdom. I pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Heavenly Father. Ephesians 1.17, that the spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him will come upon you. 
But not only for him, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of your inheritance in Christ Jesus? And the mighty power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, dwells within you, that you would know this power. Not only that, but that he's the same power that worked in Jesus, raising him from the dead, seating him at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. And he gave him as head over the church, which is his body. And we're seated with him in heaven faces. What does that mean? It means that we're the body, and when everything's under his feet, it means it's under our feet. That's why Luke 10, 19 says, I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You are so armed and dangerous, but my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So I'm praying, God, whatever barrier, whatever religious spirit, whatever poverty mentality we might have of who we are in Christ would be shattered right now with the apostolic authority you've given to me. You shifted my message for this message today for his church all across all, every single campus. And I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, but also who you are in Christ and that you are seated with him. He's not standing. He's not nervous about Biden-Harris and the Equality Act. He is seated. He said, it is finished, that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Christ, and he's going to reign forever and ever. Now give him a shout offering if you really believe that. God bless you.